Welcome to All Things Vegas, nourishing self-care for the helping professional. During our time together, we will explore a wide variety of topics relating to self-care, all especially geared to the helping professional. Our guests are all thought leaders and cutting-edge providers in their respective fields of endeavor. They will offer not only helpful insights, but practical skills that you can begin to use. Greg Grollo is an ordained Dharma teacher in the Plum Village community of engaged Buddhism. He is a member of the Open Way Sangha and serves as chaplain at St. Patrick Hospital and the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of Missoula. He is the owner of Foundational Dialogues Mediation and Facilitation. So, Greg, thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited to have you here and talking about this amazing topic of spirituality and the role that it plays in terms of how we take care of ourselves. Yeah, thanks a lot for the invitation too, Kathy. This is a wonderful opportunity to be able to talk about these things. And it's one of those subjects that I think we hear a lot about, but don't really do a deep dive into. So this will be fun. Yeah, this is great. So I think probably... What would be helpful for all of us is if you could give us a just kind of an umbrella definition of when we talk about spirituality, what that means so that we're all starting on the same page here. Yeah, Yeah, that sounds great. Because as we know, a lot of people, as soon as they hear spirituality, they immediately think about religion or Mm -hmm. something else like that. And one of the definitions that I found that I really enjoy came from a consensus conference uh, where spiritual care providers, chaplains, and doctors, and nurses, and social workers, administrators, all came together and tried to figure out what (laughs) spirituality is. And so the definition they came up, is it all right if I just read it? I don't have it memorized, but I've got chunks of it. So they say that spirituality is the aspect of humanity that refers to the way individuals seek and express meaning and purpose and the way they experience their connectedness to the moment, to self, to others, to nature, and to the significant or sacred. So that could be really interpreted in a really unique individual way. Exactly. And that's the idea behind spirituality, is that it really is unique to each person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in terms of healthcare providers or helping professionals, which is who we're really talking to on this podcast, can we start to explore what that actually means in terms of having this, it feels like a resource almost in some way that for people who are in those kinds of professions that are considered to kind of be giving professions, that this feels like a resource for them. So can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I think because spirituality is often misunderstood. And I know that definition is really wordy. It certainly sounds like it came out of committee. But the important thing to remember about spirituality is that it's whatever makes us feel connected to something bigger than ourselves. And I think for healthcare providers, it's certainly helpful to both understand your own spirituality as well as the spirituality of the people that we serve, because we all have it. One of the things that I often will say to people when I introduce myself as a chaplain, they say, well, I don't really have a religion or something like that. And I may have been talking to them already for 10 or 15 minutes about how much they love going fishing. 
And I'll say, well, okay, so besides being outside and fishing and spending time with your family and all of those things, what's important to you? And they, that starts to get people thinking about, oh, I never thought of these things that I love, these things that take me out of myself, and how, and how that actually is a reflection of spirituality. And so healthcare providers are, it would be really helpful to be attuned to those kinds of things, finding those bits of importance, those moments of connection, dropping away from the small self and connecting to whatever it is that's larger. And I find that the word spirituality can often be a little off-putting for people. And so that's why I'm happy to be able to explore this a little today. So one of the things that I think is really interesting and, and part of why I am really excited to have you here today is, is that you serve as a chaplain in a hospital. And so I think most people connect that role. A big part of your role is working with people who are there seeking treatment of one kind or another or families of people seeking treatment, that that's a lot, or people who are actively dying or any of the things that might go along with that. Can you speak to also, I think, the extension of that role to the people that you work with, your colleagues, the docs and nurses, the administrative staff, all of the other people that support what's going on in terms of the uh, patients that are in the hospital itself? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think for me, it's helpful to just establish that we all have a spirituality, mm-hmm. and some people are religious. And I think starting from that place can really help us begin to understand ourselves and how what we're bringing to the table is influencing our care. So the staff certainly has their own practices that they might do outside of the hospital. Or, you know, I also serve as a chaplain for a small lay Unitarian Universalist fellowship and and in other roles as well with our Buddhist community too. And all, all of the people that are engaged in caring are doing it because it's important to them. And sometimes knowing why it's important, knowing what it is about caring about providing compassion, providing care, providing kindness to people in the moment, where that's coming from, what is maybe their foundation that they're coming from. Yeah. So is there, and I'm guessing, I don't really honestly know the answer to this question, so I'm just going to toss it at you here. But one of the things that I think that some of us may have a tendency to do is to perhaps think about helping professions, any professionals, anybody kind of in that field as having like a similar foundation for why they do what they do. It's pretty easy to think about that, I think, if, you know, not to really look at it as a as an individual process for each person. So I'm kind of guessing that there may be some assumptions that even caring professionals, if they haven't really explored this idea of what it is to them individually, is it kind of feels like they might fall into a bit of a, a trap with that, you know, kind of getting caught in a expectation that maybe doesn't speak to them. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the Without doing that, taking that time to look at why it is that we want to care for others, what can happen is you start to lose sight of of yourself, 
Uh, you start to lose sight of taking care of yourself. You start to lose that that original spark about what brought you to that place. And so what we often see, and what I've also experienced, and I think anybody who cares for others' experiences, is, is that sometimes we start to look very outward, outward at the tasks that need to be done, the people we need to serve, people that are in need of care. And we forget about that, that part of ourself that nourishes us, that takes care of us. And so what I find is that when I'm in that place, my care actually gets, uh, my care suffers because I'm not tending to that original part that brought me to that place. And when caring providers engage in that, well, when caring providers find that they're starting to feel burnt out, disconnected, that's a wonderful time to look back at to what are the things that make me feel a part of something bigger? How does this small action that I'm doing today, this small act of caring fit into this larger context, both of my worldview and in the context of the world at large? Well, and I think, you know, the the research recognizes, and, and there's been a pile of it, you know, over the last few years, especially with the pandemic still kind of looming around, that it is really, really important for us and one of the major foundations of people being resilient in general, just, you know, across all populations, is this idea of being connected to something bigger than them, whatever it is yeah, for that person. And it feels like that for helping professionals, this may f- seem even more important in some ways, you know, this connection to whatever it is. Yeah, and being able to name that mm-hmm. and figure out for yourself what that means can provide a lot of relief, especially, as you mentioned, in these times of stress. It was a really difficult three years uh, for people all over the world, and especially for people who were had to be involved in direct care. And so there was a lot of distress that came up, a lot of disconnection. And it feels like in those times, the impulse is to go inward, to kind of close yourself off from the rest of of the world, to make your context feel smaller, because it feels manageable and safe. And I would challenge that a little bit and think about, well, what is it that actually makes us feel a part of something larger? How can we feel connected again? How can we come back to that feeling that there's something bigger than ourselves at work here? And and again, that something bigger than ourselves could be as simple as being outside, taking the time to look out the window, <laughs> if that's what it takes, or to go for a walk or to just take a moment as you're going from your car to the front door to feel the air, to take a breath, those kinds of things. Or it could be uh, reestablishing some kind of spiritual practice that you have, some kind of exercises that you do, whether it's meditation or prayer or engaging with congregations or other groups. Yeah. So it could be really, and again, because we are all so unique as individuals, and yet we share this common need. Yeah. But how it gets expressed, if I'm hearing you correctly, is really up to the individual and what seems to be the underpinning for that person in terms of what got them on this path of being a helping professional to begin with. For me personally, the way that I approach uh, spirituality and spiritual care comes from 
It's certainly informed by my Buddhist training, but it comes from a place of wanting to know and feel and tap into somebody's experience of their spirituality rather than what they believe about it. So one of the challenges, I think, is when we have a common language, if we all come from maybe the same church, or if we all come from the same course, we all have this common language. But when somebody talks about their understanding of the world, we find that the way that a person experiences that understanding can be very similar across all traditions, all aspects of of a person's life. And I think that that's, if I'm understanding it correctly, it feels like, and this has been kind of my personal view on all of this, is, is that these are the things that really inform how we are in the world, regardless of what role we're playing, whether we're playing the role as a partner or a sibling or as an employee or whatever you know role we're playing in our personal or professional life, it's kind of the common thread that runs through all of it. Yeah, that's right. And we all have an experience of connection. We know what it feels like in our body, in our hearts, in our minds. And then what happens after that is we usually layer interpretation on it. So we take whatever worldview we want, and we just place it on and use it to explain the experience. But the fact of the matter is that we have that experience. I remember talking to a person a long time ago, and I worked with a different healthcare agency. And you know, I asked the person if they ever had that, that moment where feels like things just drop away and you just feel connected. You don't have words for it. Maybe later you have that description of what that experience was like and you interpret it through your worldview. But when I mentioned that to this person, they they thought about it and thought about it and said, I think so. I think so. And then they started to to feel it again. I could experience it with them right in that moment. And so One of the beauties of having these experiences is that we get to carry them with us. We get to remember them. And I don't mean remember with our discursive thinking, but we remember them in our body, in our heart, and eventually in our mind as well. So one of the things that we, of course, try to do when, when we are really working with these, especially these really big concepts that are kind of hard to find words for is to find some kind of way that that our listeners can tap into kind of regaining or reconnecting with what they probably already know, yeah. what they've already had an experience of. And I'm wondering if you could share with us any experiences, thoughts, ideas that you might have for helping people kind of reconnect with with that something bigger than me. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. The the first thing I would say is that if you have, you know, a little resistance to the word spirituality, uh, use a different word. Use connection or use a sense of something bigger. Whatever it is, if that word doesn't do it for you, you can go ahead and use something else. I like it just because it's what I've been doing for a long time, but it's not really important because again, we want to move towards experience. And so the What I would suggest uh, people do is take the time to list out, maybe take out a pen, take out a piece of paper and list out what is important to me and start to see if there's a theme that emerges. You know, you might start with my, my dog, 
my family, my friends. And then you start to see, oh, I have this whole series of of people and animals in my life. I guess relationships are important to me. And then start thinking about relationships. Start noticing them, paying attention to those throughout your your day and how you feel when you're in relation to somebody. So that would be one one example that might come out of that. Or another one might be, uh, I find that when I'm by myself, I feel at peace, at ease. When I take time to walk outside and start listing the times that you feel that uh, connection, or put another way where you feel that dropping away of your small self. So as you start to engage with that kind of exercise, you might notice, oh, I feel this sense of something bigger when I'm outside and my view is actually bigger. And I start to see these non-human relations go and come into play. And so you might realize that that's where you find your connection. And again, maybe you go to church or go to a meditation group and Start paying attention to those times. What are the words that you hear that make you feel that connection? Because sometimes I know that when I'm listening to people speak, especially about spiritual matters, sometimes I just am listening, you know, I'm thinking about it. But other times I have a, a shift inside. And so I notice that shift. And what is it about those words that made me feel connected to something bigger? So taking that time to list out those things, to start to find for yourself what it is that makes you feel connected. And again, from that list, it could be connectedness to the moment. So perhaps you just find it when you feel very present, when everything else drops away and you're just doing the thing that is in front of you. Or it could be to yourself, feeling that connection to how you move through the world, how you treat other people, how you move physically, and how you move emotionally. And then, as we mentioned, to others or to nature or to significance or the sacred. Uh, I'd, like, I'd like to tell a little story, if I can, about the sacred. I was really moved years ago when I worked with, uh, again, a different healthcare agency. We were doing home care, and I was talking to a person whose spouse was uh, nearing the end of their life. And the spouse said to me, I'm just really struggling. I want to make this experience, this time sacred. And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to tell this person how to do that. <laughs> I wasn't going to be able to tell this person. I didn't have the words to to express that. So I invited uh, the spouse to simply start thinking about the things that they were doing. So as as I mentioned, I come from a Buddhist background, so being attuned to the present moment for me is a, a very powerful spiritual practice, and that helps me find uh, significance and sacredness in the moment. And so I mentioned that to this person, and they were open to that. And I came back a week later, and they were all excited to share with me that, you know, I realized that when I get my spouse a glass of water, that is sacred. When I take time to sit because I'm so exhausted and I look out the window, that is sacred. And they started listing all of these different experiences that they had and said, that is sacred, that is sacred. And of course, the reason that it was sacred was that this person was very attuned 
to uh, the actions that they were doing and realize that they were meaningful. The things that they were doing just in that simple way were meaningful because they were meaningful both to the person they were caring for, they certainly felt that care, and they were meaningful to the person who was offering the care. And this is not a trained professional. <laughs> this was just uh, somebody who is a spouse. So yeah. I think about that story a lot. That's been well over a decade now, and I carry that with me into into my interactions, both professionally and personally, that this moment, I don't know how it's affecting somebody else. I don't know how they might receive later in their life this small act of, of care. But I try to attune myself to that sacredness, and I trust that the other person in some way will receive that sacredness as well. Yeah. What, what kind of comes up for me in listening to you tell that story is this potential value that we could place on like the everyday things. Oh, yeah. You know, like yeah. the, the things that we even consider to be maybe even mundane and kind of boring. <laughs> that, you know, the, the question always is, so are they really mundane or even boring? Or are they, how are they expressing, you know, my spirituality? Yeah, that's a wonderful point, Kathy, that it's sometimes it's the small things that we find the most profound experiences with. And sometimes it's the big things too. And so one of the one of the themes that I find with spirituality is this idea of paying attention. So again, it's informed by my Buddhist practice, but it's also borne out in just experience that paying attention to the little things, paying attention to the big things, just paying attention really can start to move our our relationship to those everyday, mundane, boring activities and make them feel somewhat significant. Right. Yeah, because it feels like when we feel like what we are offering is valuable, then that somehow changes our relationship with not only those things, but it just changes our relationship with us, with ourselves. That's right. It changes how we relate to those activities. And it's felt by the people that are on the receiving end of that care. It's amazing how sometimes just a, a pause and a deep breath can affect somebody else, especially when it's done with care and with presence. Uh, as I mentioned before, I, when I'm a little tired or stressed out or burned out, I miss a lot of those things opportunities. I start going into autopilot. And I know we all have that experience uh, where where we're just going through the motions. It's kind of like, I know the words to say here. I've heard a similar story before. or And it's not to dismiss that person's experience at all, but it's that internal connection to our own presence, but also that attunement to the other person seems to be a little out of, out of sync. And when we notice that, it doesn't take much to come back. It just... I often will look at a person that I'm sitting across from and just remember that they have a whole life that I know very little about. And they have their own joys and hopes and dreams. And it just gets me out of my small self and into relationship. So if I were to, if we were to, not I, but if we were to sum up, you know, the skill set, so to speak, or the mindset, maybe would be the better term of how 
people who are in helping professions, you know, across a wide variety. I mean, this is a wide variety of people from, you know, docs and nurses to hospital staff to people in private practice to massage therapists. I mean, it's just this wide variety of people. What would you say is would be, you know, it, it sounds like attention, right? Paying attention to one's self is perhaps a, a key there in order to keep us connected and on track with what is deeply important to us. Would Could you expand on that at all and just make sure that I'm synthesizing that correctly? Yeah, thank you for the invitation. So paying attention to our experience, internal experience, helps give information about what's going on with the relationship to other people. So absolutely, it's a skill that that we need to develop. And when I say paying attention, I think about it on at least three different planes. The first, and what I find the most helpful often, is just paying attention to my body. Knowing when I'm tense or when I feel, or when I don't notice my body at all, and I'm just spinning around in my my mind. So that's the first place I often look to start paying attention. And then next, I pay attention to what I'm feeling. What are the emotions that I'm feeling? And importantly, I like to figure out if they're my emotions or if they're coming from somebody else. So that would be the next place that I start to look. And then finally, I start to look at my thinking and how are my thoughts starting to either bring me closer in connection or taking me away from being present. Right. And so that act of paying attention in the moment, in the moment of care is very important. And as we mentioned before, that paying attention outside of our care can help, help tell us what it is that nourishes us and point us in the direction of finding care for ourselves. Right. So it seems like if we can get good at doing that for us, that we get much better at doing it out there for others. Would that be a fair statement? Absolutely. Okay. Because then our experience of offering care is grounded in what's actually happening rather than what we wish were happening or what we think might be happening. Yeah, because that can be really derailing, I would imagine. Oh, yes. And you start to try to direct the experience to match what you hope for rather than direct the experience to what it actually wants to be. Excellent, Greg. Well, I, you know, as we're starting to wind down here in this conversation, I want to open up if there is anything else that you would like to add to our conversation. If I missed anything or misinterpreted anything, I would love to give you the opportunity to correct anything or add. Well, you know, one important thing to remember is that chaplains in particular are trained in spiritual care. So we're trained in this kind of work, in this kind of being present. The nice thing is that we all are in this together. And so I think healthcare providers, both in the hospital and outside, people who are just providing care to others, as you mentioned, all of those different roles that people are serving, it can be helpful to look out for when somebody might be in some kind of spiritual distress or have some kind of spiritual questions that want to come out. And it may not be appropriate in whatever role that you are to answer those or address those. And so I would encourage people to kind of have an understanding of what you might look for in spiritual distress. And one thing you might notice is that people have a feeling of hopelessness or that the things that they used to do aren't really providing them nourishment 
anymore. They're not really sustaining them. That would be a time when it might be nice to refer that person to somebody who can work with that spiritual distress, hopelessness, uh, despair, that feeling of disconnection, that lack of enthusiasm, those questions of like, why me? Why is this happening to me? I've lived a a good life. And why am I the one who's sick? Or why is it my family member who's sick? Or those kinds of questions that come up. And another thing that you might notice, and this one can get a little thorny, so it's important to try to make that referral if you can, is that sometimes people might use their spirituality as a way of avoiding what's going on. So I mentioned that I have a meditation practice, and there are many times where I have some kind of distress, and uh, instead of engaging with that distress during my meditation practice, I try to shift it to something else. I try to make it make myself feel better. And really, that's not exactly what spiritual practice is for. Spiritual practice and spirituality is meant to give us the tools to work through those things, not to avoid them. So, noticing if somebody is using particularly spiritual language. Again, that's the kind of language that is talking about something bigger than themselves, but it doesn't quite match what their experience is in the moment. The popular term for that, of course, is spiritual bypassing, where they're avoiding the situation so that, but it's avoiding it through the lens of their spirituality. So, looking for those kinds of things that come up in a person's experience as we're working with them, and then knowing who to refer them to. Obviously, in the hospital system, you can refer them to the spiritual care department. Outside of the hospital system, it gets a little little harder, but there are community members who are available. If they have a church community, they certainly can answer those questions there, or, or really sometimes just naming, asking the person, what's important to you? Or When was the last time you felt connected to something bigger? And if you notice, the interesting thing about that question is it starts with the mind. What was, when was the last time you felt connected? You start thinking about it. But then I don't know about you, but I hear that and I start feeling it. And then you can ask questions about, well, what does it feel like? What did it feel like when you were connected? And those kinds of things can help bring a a recall of what's important to a person, even in the midst of hopelessness or despair. And sometimes just sitting with the despair is enough to let it move, to let that not feeling the need to rush in and fix it immediately. Yeah. So that's, that can be the hard part, of course, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, those, yeah, you have to get pretty comfortable being in difficult places. And sometimes I'm better at it than others. I find, yeah, I, I find Sometimes when I'm having a hard time, sitting with people's difficulties is actually easier than when I'm in a good space. All right. Well, a lot of really excellent observations and really good suggestions, Craig. So thank you so much for being with us today. really appreciate your time and your wisdom and your expertise. It's been great having the time to talk. Well, thanks a lot, Kathy. This is an important aspect of my life, and I think it's an important aspect of all of our lives. My hope, of course, is that that we start becoming more in touch with that feeling of connection. And I'll use the word spirituality. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you.